I'm Alexandra Joe, Content Manager at Parting Stone, and you're listening to the Death Care Decoded podcast. In this podcast, we explore trends in the death profession, uncovering valuable insights through conversations with industry thought leaders. Our mission is to bring forward-thinking education to death care professionals. This week, I have the pleasure of talking with Mel Bennett, creator and co-founder of Life Forest in New Hampshire, about building the first cemetery created specifically for cremation families seeking burial for their loved ones' cremated remains. Mel shares her personal journey into the death care space, walks listeners through the grounds at Life Forest, and explains the ins and outs of choosing permanent placement for cremated remains with a tree as the memorial marker, which is precisely what Life Forest uniquely offers. You're jumping into a conversation with myself and Mel Bennett. So the first thing I want to talk about is just how you got started in death care, because you have such a unique story as far as a death care professional goes. As far as I know, you're not, you know, a traditional licensed funeral director working in a funeral home. You had this alternative way into owning and running a death care business. So would you just talk about that journey for a little while? Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, it's a really good question. And, um, And I do ask myself how I ended up in death care, because that certainly wasn't the journey that I started on. Um, My introduction to death care started with a passion project, and um, it ultimately formed into Life Forest. And I'm very proud of the journey that we have taken. And so I was a stay-at-home mom uh, with two small children and a very ill mother, And I was taking care of my mother and my small children. It's called the sandwich generation. And there's a lot of us in that world. And uh, it's very difficult to be part of that. But as I was doing that, your, your whole life is just taking care of others. And when my mother's illness took over, I found that it was such an excruciatingly heartbreaking process that... I learned a little bit about how caregivers really just want to fix the illness. They want to take this pain away and they can't. And so after 10 years of watching my mom with an early onset Alzheimer's, she was 50 when diagnosed, early 60s when she passed. And the process just robs her of all of her facilities, of her awareness, of her ability to self-care. And... After her passing, I realized that things were kind of now back in my control. The disease had the control, but now she has passed and I had the ability to say, okay, this is the respect that I want for my mom. And that was the kind of burial journey that I took to get to where I am today with Life Forest. That's such a beautiful journey. And I think one that's, that's pretty, you know, shared amongst people who have ill loved ones, lose loved ones unexpectedly. I mean, I lost my mother to suicide when I was 18, which was pretty unexpected and, you know, did not have the death planning grief journey that I would have wanted for myself now looking back. It was not the best, most ideal version of what I now know is possible because of being in this space as someone who's not a licensed funeral director and learning so much about the profession. And so I share and empathize with that experience and find myself being here as a, you know, non-professional professional. Yeah. And so I want 
to get a little more specific, if you don't mind, about how specifically the idea for Life Forest came to you? You know, so I um, when I grew up, I grew up in this this industrial city called Lawrence, Massachusetts. And in Lawrence, Massachusetts, in the early 1980s, there were riots going on in the street. And Mm -hmm. so my mom would take us to these big, gigantic municipal cemeteries that just went on and on and on because she wanted us to be able to be outside in a way that was safe because Mm -hmm. my city at that time wasn't safe. And so I remember as a, as a kid being in these gigantic rolling cemeteries and my mom would have like the crunchy bread and like a Frisbee and an apple. And my brother and I would be like following her through all the graves until she got to the like way back. And I was like, you know, as a little kid, I was like, this is, this is (laughs) awful. Like, I, I don't even want to be here, mom. And she said to me now, sweetheart, you don't have to be scared because, you know, someday I'm going to die and I'm going to become a tree. And I was like, well, that's ridiculous. Because <laughs> first of all, it's 1984, right? And, and cremation wasn't a thing back then. And I was just like, oh, uh-huh, yeah. And uh, as time passed, I realized that you know, her analogy just with nature and kind of going back to where we came from was obviously what she was aiming at. But again, when I go back to having this decade of losing this control over how my mom could be cared for, after she passed, I was like, like anybody else, I had half of her ashes, because that's what I was given, sitting in my cabinet And every time I reached for the turkey tray, I'd be like, hi, mom, like, I I swear to you, you deserve better than this. Like, it just felt so wrong that I had this amazing, passionate, caring, loving mother who gave everything to her family and then died this horrific decade-long illness to end up in a cardboard box in my not even well-organized cabinet. So (laughs) I I just, I I felt this immense amount of responsibility of guilt, but being that my mom was just this kind of like loving, somewhat non-traditional, but traditional person, I felt like, well, cemetery didn't feel right because I didn't like going there. Her parents passed. She never went to visit. She said, I don't, I don't want to go. Mm-hmm. And when I found this like thing online about these urns that you can plant a tree, I said to myself, well, my gosh, my mother was right. She could be a tree. <laughs> <laughs> and so I immediately went to like click order on this like urn that I could plant a tree in or on or, and mm-hmm. I, I thought there and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> if I order this urn, and I plant a tree above my mother's cremains, like, where am I going to plant this? I do own my own home, but I live in a, in a city. And I thought, well, I could plant her in my yard. But like, what happens when my kids grow up and I move to a bungalow on a beach somewhere? Because like, that's everybody's dream, right? And, uh, <laughs> and then I also thought like, okay, 
what am I going to do if I travel? Like, am I have to, I'm going to have to hire somebody to water my mother's tree. Because mm-hmm. I, I can't, like, watch her die slowly twice. Like, I just right. can't psychologically survive this. So I loved the idea of it. But I felt this immense responsibility over protecting that tree, taking care of that tree, and and tending to it. And so I started calling around our local cemeteries and I want, cause I wanted that protected space. I didn't, I wanted something that was recorded that had burial records attached to it. I wanted my ancestors to know where their great, great grandmother is buried. I wanted that for her, but I also kind of wanted this tree <laughs> and uh, there was nobody that would do it. Like, no, that's just not what we do. You know, no, it just doesn't fit in the, in the, the form that they took. So it started, the idea of life force started very simply. This is what I said to myself. Okay, this is not a problem. I could buy a very small plot of land. I could put conservation easements on it. Then I could plant my mother's tree. I could bury her ashes below it. Then no problem. I could hire a landscaper to come and take care of my mother's tree on this piece of land that I purchased and put protective easements <laughs> on. And, and, and then, and then in order for people to know where she was, I could get the latitude longitude coordinates of that space and I could add it to the deed of the land. So it follows the deed of the land. Problem solved. <laughs> and then I was like, easy. <laughs> no problem. And then I'm like, you, you can't just plant her in your yard. <laughs> like, like, you've got this thing so complicated now. Um, but that's when I ended up kind of, again, it was very casual. I met John and I'd known John for many, many years. And as we were meeting, he just asked, so what are you up to? What kind of things, what's on your mind? And I told him like, well, I'm looking for a piece of land to, <laughs> to, buy, a, to buy and plant this tree. And so I went through this whole thing and uh, he said, you know, that's way out there. And he's like, but it's actually really beautiful. And I like it. Like, and then I said, well, hey, you want to like help me out of here? Because <laughs> he's very knowledgeable in those, in business and, and land law, things like that. And, and a couple months later, we just kind of reconnect. And he's like, you know what? I've been thinking about it. And yeah, I like this idea. And I think that this could happen. And I think others will like it as well. So that's kind of the start. Yeah. Wow. That's wow. Yeah. So that's I, yeah, no, I love that so much for a couple of reasons because that's how parting stone got started too at its very core, right? Like Justin, our CEO had a terrible experience with his grandfather's cremains ending up in a family basement or garage somewhere. And then being kind of rediscovered years later, like they deserve better than this, Yeah. but we haven't, we don't have the history with cremation that we do with burial to have those set rituals of like what to do. And, you know, traditionally in the past, you know, funeral homes haven't loved cremation because, you know, they're like, Oh, it's, you know, it's not what we normally do. And for all of these other reasons. And so they don't, they haven't been educated themselves on how to help families know what the options are. 
And again, 20, 30 years ago, cremation was just starting and there weren't options like Life Forest or like Parting Stone. And so that's how we got started as well is like, there's got to be a better way to honor our loved ones after they pass and choose cremation. And so I love that, that all of these different options are coming out of people who are not from the profession getting in there and problem solving. I think that's great. I think that's the kind of innovation in the death care space that we need to see even more of because it just offers more options for a personal experience with death and cremation for all families. And I think that's really beautiful. And then that what parting stone does is gives the opportunity for people again, to have this really solid, tangible thing to hold. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and I see that more and more that, that need for, for active decisions and kind of control over what's happening Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that reconnection and to be able to literally hold somebody again, even if it's Mm -hmm. in a whole different form is a really beautiful thing. It really is a beautiful thing that you're giving to your, to your families. Oh, I mean, thank you. And I agree. Like I've, I've actually solidified one of my cats that I've talked about on the podcast before grandma Alice. And it's true. I'm a, I'm an artist. I'm a writer. I'm a very tactile, physical person. And it's a transformative experience to get to hold my precious kitty cat still, you know, it's, it's really beautiful. And, um, and I know that that's the same for, you know, people who've lost loved ones that are human in their life as well. And, And I think that it's very aligned with the idea of having a very sacred, special place in nature to go that, you know, is for your loved one. And, you know, it's, it's the ritual of getting to visit a special site that doesn't feel gloomy and dreary, like a cemetery that doesn't have, you know, like weird gates everywhere. And you have to, you know, rely on like these, you know, manicured, like mowed lawns and flowers to be, you know, it's, it's just a much more natural, organic feeling experience in my opinion. And I think that some families are looking for that and, and haven't had that in years past. So I think it's a beautiful thing what you're doing as well. Um, yeah. And, and it seems like two different ways to achieve the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and I, and there's so much flexibility too, as far as the cremation world and mm-hmm. there, you're not limited to one form of memorialization when you have something like cremains. Mm-hmm. And so you can do these other options, have something that's tangible and you can also bury, you know, I mean, there's so mm-hmm. many different things that people can do. I, I, I just love, I just am loving imagining what life forest is like with this, you know, the boulder and all these different rituals. You can go swimming, you can visit the tree, you can paint a rock and leave it. You know, it must just be such a special place. Um, (laughs) Can you, can you kind of walk me through what it's like? You know, like, like when you pull up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, life forest is surrounded by 80 acres of conservation land. So in between this beautiful stretch of acreage sandwiched inside is life forest burial area, which is currently comprised of just under 14 acres. And what I love about life forest and the, and the way that it has, been procured is that we have this entrance, it's all gravel, but 
you come in, when you drive in, it's probably about a car and a half depth, right? So it's not a big wide space, but -hmm. it's a beautiful gravel road. And in New Hampshire, we have a lot of birch trees. So as you drive in, there's just these birch trees that you kind of drive up through. And much like uh, the architect Frank Lloyd Wright, how he would... Mm -hmm he would create these spaces that have kind of a tunnel that take you on a journey and then open Mm -hmm. up into the living spaces. It has that feel because you drive in and you kind of take this little kind of isolated visual journey and then it opens up into the burial area and the parking area, which is not huge. Um, You could fit like maybe 12 cars in the first parking area. Mm -hmm. And to the left is a an easement trail so basically it's a public access trail that is monitored by the local conservation commission that provides for that third party watchdog that's so important when it comes to any sort of alternative cemetery situation can you explain what that is a, a conservation easement no a third party watchdog and a conservation easement, but <laughs> sure. So basically, the conservation commission is is from the town. So it's the Hillsborough Conservation Commission. They are a group of volunteers and environmental experts who take care of and monitor all of the conservation land that's within that municipality. Mm-hmm. So Life Forest happens to be surrounded by 80 acres that is monitored by them and also hosts a public right-of-way easement. So what that means is it's written into our land deed. So it follows the land. And that makes sure that any members of the Hillsborough Conservation Commission can, at any time, walk the trails, look at what's going on within the forest, And, you know, sometimes it's even advisory. It's like, you know, we find that there's this invasive species. Let's talk about that and how we want to procure that. Mm -hmm. Our trail is the trail that leads to the 80 acres. So it's the only access. So we kind of worked with them to make sure that people who are just coming to enjoy the land, not about life forest, have Mm -hmm. a place to park. Mm -hmm. Um, People who want to walk their dogs or go hiking or snowshoeing there's always that access. So that's what you drive into. And then we have our phase one burial area and that's where we plant the trees. So it was a much more complex process than I originally, (laughs) we love this learning thing, right? Like, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. thank goodness what we do in life, we don't truly understand what we're getting into because. (laughs) Absolutely. The layers of, of, stuff that needed to happen that is excellent but you know the (laughs) heritage checks the water levels where's your water level at what's the grade where the aquifers on the property how far are you from this how many species of what kind of trees where's your forestry Mm -hmm. plan all of that but then on top of it because we are growing trees on behalf of other people we have an agricultural aspect So now you have to involve the Department of Agriculture. What type of trees are you planting? Are you using somebody who's approved to sell these trees? Mm -hmm. Are they trees that are going to cross-pollinate 
appropriately. How far apart are you planting them? Wait a minute, you want to put ashes under them? I don't know if ashes are good for trees. Actually, they're not. How are you going to protect the trees? <laughs> so, you know, what I what I thought was buying a simple urn and placing it in my yard turned into <laughs> multiple dealings with Department of Environmental Services and Department of Agriculture and very specific mapping, learning the soil types of the land itself in order wow. to know if what we're planting is going to work and thrive within that soil. And so it's been a, a beautiful learning process and just really, really knowing who the experts are and asking all the right questions over and over again, bringing them in, making sure the right people that know what they're doing are supporting what you're doing and helping you to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. as you go down the trail, the trail goes all the way down along the property. We have a picnic area and then a community garden. So anybody who wants to come to plant a little flower for a loved one can do that. We are working to get a phone on the wind a little bit down the trail. We have just different nature quotes so you kind of go on this journey down the trail through small experiences. The phone of the wind would be the opportunity to call somebody mm-hmm. and just say what you want to say. Uh, you'll go through an area where there's uh, some conserved land, where there's some turtles and <laughs> birds and stuff, like anything that likes to live in the wetter areas kind of live there. And then as you continue, we have two glacial boulders on the property. And one glacial boulder is the one that we kind of use as the cenotaph. And the kids love it. They just climb all over it. And it's, it's, it's a huge boulder and it's, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. We have a moose that lives behind the boulder. And I know <laughs> that because he leaves me presents to step in. <laughs> um but, I mean, he's he goes out into the vast wonderland of the forest. And then down to the left, we have another boulder that we were using as a concert area. We're going to move that forward um, just to make it more accessible for mm-hmm. the older generation and or just anybody that has some, you know, accessibility issues. And then you just see we have a lot of blueberry bushes along the path. And then the land splits and you can take a left onto the conservation trails to get down to the river. You could take a right and it'll bring you up um, through some hiking trails. There's some peak views of the mountains areas and it takes you in a big circle. I mean, 80 acres is a lot to explore. Mm -hmm. And uh, those acreage are completely owned by Hillsborough and the Conservation Commission. So we work with them to enable people to be able to access them safely and and that kind of thing. And, and in turn, we can enjoy them and our families can enjoy it. It works really well. It's, that's amazing. It's, it is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. So basically, we, we have worked to become a traditional cemetery. We mm-hmm. are legally a cemetery. Mm-hmm. And the importance of being a cemetery is that now you're monitored by cemetery law. Mm-hmm. And then also, we were able to work with the idea that we can now coin the tree as the memorial marker. Oh. And now it's protected under cemetery law because we are a legal cemetery. Okay. So you mentioned 
briefly that cremains and the acidity of cremains are not uh, good for trees. So I've, if you don't mind revealing how you protect the trees from the cremains and still have it, you know, be that the person is with the tree. Yeah. How, how, what's your process like for that? Okay. So that was a very um, eye-opening thing coming from a non death care perspective, like who would have thunk, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How would you know that? But as we learned about it, we actually approached somebody named Dr. Aaron Collins. He's an, an environmentalist mm -hmm. that works at Southern New Hampshire University. And we kind of talked about how do we how do we work with the pH balance that kind of pollutes the soil and dries out the tree. So mm -hmm. to my very non-scientific understanding, mm -hmm. to put it in layman's terms that I understand, mm -hmm. basically the, the what, what cremains have after that process is this high pH balance alkaline. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Correct. And what that causes is like a salty environment. Mm -hmm. And now we're talking more on the level I understand. Obviously, you're not going to like drink a glass of salt water, right? Like right. if you're not careful and you place this in proximity of tree roots, it could it could hurt the tree. Like you're mm -hmm. you're watering it with salty water almost. So when it rains, the the water can seep through that alkaline can affect the soil mm -hmm. around the tree and then ultimately dry the tree roots. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, well, this is, this is not so good. Mm -hmm. If you want to have a tree cemetery, right. <laughs> like, how do we work with this? And so we had learned that they sell products that will, you can kind of integrate with this, with the, the ashes themselves and it could neutralize them. But when we worked with a Department of Environmental Services, they were very concerned about us using those products because most of them were proprietary. Mm -hmm. So what that means is it doesn't actually list out what's in them. And the gentleman explained to me, he's like, you know, it could, we don't know. It could burn people's hands to touch this product. Like, I don't mm -hmm. know what's in it. And in essence, now you're adding another thing into the environment that we need to kind of monitor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and so there was this whole process around these amendments that I was like, oh man, this is like getting really complicated. And so when we work with Dr. Collins, he's like, well, all you have to do is make sure that really there's a buffer of space between those tree and any contact with the tree mm -hmm. and the cremains themselves which the burial in itself. So we have to make sure that when we bury, we bury at a distance that is at least 18 inches from the root ball of the tree. Mm -hmm. So they can never connect. Gotcha. Right. So mm -hmm. this is why we, um, we don't, I mean, we're a burial area, so we don't allow scattering, but mm -hmm. even if we did, I don't know, I wouldn't know how to do that in a way that it wouldn't seep down right. and affect the tree roots. Right. That would just take, I guess, research, but I don't, I don't have those answers. But I do know that um, because of Dr. Dr. Collins, that if you use 
a 100% natural wool product. Mm. The wool will provide a, a, a protection buffer. So you, you'll take the cremains and, you know, we have burial baskets. I could show you one that are, um, if people want their loved ones inside something mm -hmm. that we can place their cremains inside that are um, handmade. They're, they're circular and a lot of people will decorate and we can place the cremains wow. inside. They're handmade, they're bamboo. Those are that's um, beautiful. They're, yeah, they're made from a fair trade company. And so we give these to people who don't have an urn or mm -hmm. want something. They don't want to see the cremains. Some mm -hmm. people just don't want to see them and that's okay. They're uncomfortable. Right? Yeah, they're, yeah, they so there's no yeah, absolutely. So if they want their loved ones in, encased in something at burial, we offer that. Some people show up and they have their own urn and that's where they want what they want for their loved one. And that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Or they'll have a something like a parting stone and they want that stone directly in the ground. Perfectly acceptable. So at that point we would place or even just the cremains directly on the mm -hmm. on the floor of the of, of the burial plot. Mm -hmm. Then the wool mm -hmm. layer comes and then we bring in any nutrients or organic soils that are necessary to balance the tree to the current soil type. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people want fruit trees or there, every type of tree likes something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So we have people who are knowledgeable in what tree is chosen versus we have a lot of sandy loam on mm -hmm. our property, which is great, but Sometimes it wants a little bit more nutrient rich mm -hmm. as it grows. And so we'll take whatever tree it is, mix it with whatever nutrient rich soil that particular tree wants mm -hmm. and create that 18 inch buffer for the tree. And so basically the cremains just never touch the tree and that's what protects them from the tree. You just gotcha. gotta make sure that they never have contact. <laughs> So gotcha. it's like, it's, it's, it's tough because people, there's something heartwarming about the idea that cremains are nourishing your tree or that you're becoming that tree. And I, I understand the desire and, and sometimes it really actually hurts my heart when, when we have parents come, like one woman came and she's like, I just love the idea that his, his ashes will feed this tree. And I'm like, well, you know. Well, the tree's there to memorialize him, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but you know that it's not actually feeding the tree. <laughs> right. Just realistically, but, that's yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, it's like in all that we do, you have to really kind of look at it and treat it as what it is, so that people understand what what they're getting into. Absolutely. So I, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to have this presentation that you're like, oh, you're feeding the tree with these cremains when that's really not the case. That's, that's not, that's not fair to say. Right. <laughs> so we just kind of make sure we stick to task and say this, your, your tree is your memorial marker. That's what it is. And it's a beautiful growing living memorial that makes kind of death have a comma instead of a period. Mm -hmm. So instead of going to this cold, hard stone, it's like, this is it. They're buried. It's like, Oh, 
this is it, but I can now kind of ease the loss. Right. There's not such a definitive end. And so I'm wondering how most of your families find you. Do you work with funeral homes? Are you only available to people who live in New Hampshire? Like how, how do people find you? That's a really good question. Um, I ask families that a lot. How did you find us? I mean, we're, we're the first kind of open burial season. COVID was such a big deal that we, we were very cognizant around kind of spreading the word that we existed because we wanted to be careful and socially responsible with people's Mm -hmm. emotions and what they were going through at that time. And so 2020 was really just kind of getting our processes in place. We had, we did have burials, but it wasn't a huge amount of burials, but we had enough that by the next season, the people who had experienced it and found us, when they had a death or they talked about it, they brought family members here because they wanted mm-hmm. to experience it well as well. So people would come to a burial service and then sadly we would hear from them, well, I had somebody pass, but I was at a burial service mm-hmm. there and I really thought it was beautiful and I loved the experience and I would like to be there as well. So that was a big part of how people found us. Um, another is just kind of, talking to people about it. Uh, Internet obviously is a a means of communication. We are building a team of very educated professionals. So our lead cemeterian is the president of the International Green Green Burial Council. That's like Mm -hmm. another thing that she does. Our, Our head of, her name is Caitlin Hokey. She's Dr. Caitlin Hokey. She's just Mm -hmm. unbelievably intelligent and, such a nice human being. And then our head of forest and family services, his name is Cameron Ickes. And he is a wildlife biologist. He's an environmental scientist, recently graduated. He's young. He's got wonderful ideas. He's very engaged in what we're doing. And he tied us into his educational community which gave us even more access to the knowledge around safety of what we're doing and making sure that we're doing the right things for the environment as well as the families. He's actively involved. And then we have Tracy Denver, who has her own undertaking service. She's a funeral director, and she Mm -hmm. works with us to make sure that our burials are scheduled correctly, recorded correctly. And Mm -hmm. that kind of gave us some contact with other funeral directors because she's service with uh, many funeral directors with body pickups. Mm -hmm. So I think the growing of a very educated team within the knowledge of their industry has Mm -hmm. really helped to kind of spread the word that we're an option. And then just, yeah. So I think kind of engaging in the community and then employing correct knowledgeable people Mm -hmm. has been a big deal. I spoke with the services manager from Recompose recently about Mm -hmm. all these new options popping up in death care for disposition, for final resting places, all these different things. And we spoke about how there's a real line to toe between being new and innovative and offering new services 
and alienating traditional funeral service professionals because we need them for success and they need us to serve families and we should foster positive experiences and relationships there instead of being like, we're new and different or, (laughs) or them being like, you know, we're traditional and not for you or what, you know, whatever it is. So I think that's great and a really, really smart way to go about it to say, you know, you know, I myself, maybe I'm not a funeral director, but let's get some on staff here who have connections to the profession, who know what the legalities are, who know how to handle body pickups, burials, cremations, all these different things. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, funeral service professionals are experts in those things and and, and we it, need their expertise. Especially when you have no death care experience prior to right. a beautiful passion project idea. And I, (laughs) you know, I, I can't, um, I could not have done this without the professionals. And also I love that what you're saying about the alienation of traditional funeral directors. It's really interesting because we have two very important members of our team and we are small teams. So we're all very close (laughs) and we have a lot of respect for each other and we have fun together. We enjoy each other, but Mm -hmm. one of them is president of the green burial council international, Dr. And then we have Mm -hmm. Tracy who owns her own embalming business. Right. Right. So they are Mm -hmm. so on the opposite spectrums of their presentation to the, to Mm -hmm. what they do in the burial world. Mm -hmm. However, what the core of what they offer for the death care industry is a compassionate, respectful approach. And Mm -hmm. I have to say, as I learn more and more about burial, just in general, if you're going to do it correctly, you absolutely cannot negate what traditional burial has done for people. If it was not for traditional burial, then ancestry would not exist. I mean, Mm -hmm. the jobs that they have done in protecting legacy ancestry is profound. Mm -hmm. And with green burial, they're taking into the consideration the impact to the earth. But why do we have to be, you know, there can be a merge of these ideals. Mm -hmm. And with 80% in New Hampshire, 80% of people are cremated. There's a need for a sustainable, more green approach than just an urn and a shelf. At least you get a tree that's kind of giving off, you know, air and life. But you ask about just New Hampshire, believe it or not, We have people from all over. So we have Pennsylvania. People have come from New York, Vermont, Massachusetts. And we, because of that, and then also some of our families are homebound. We just started a steward program um, because we're having people mail us their cremains. And, you know, there's something about that that feels really impersonal and mm-hmm. and not compassionate enough to be part of what we do. But at the same time, it mm-hmm. is our market. People are looking for this and we're offering it. And as right. of right now, it's not everywhere. Right. This is the only, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know of anybody that just does exactly what we do. And I have to say, so the first year 
we planted my mom's tree. I wanted to experience it first. I wanted to make sure that what we were offering to other people felt right. So we have this small burial area and it the land itself that we had purchased had been cleared by loggers about 13 years prior. So we had a lot of like regrowth and we had pricker bushes, like just things that maybe not so ideal, right? So we, we worked to make sure that that stuff was taken care of in the appropriate ways, that the access was safe. Um, and after all of that, I planted my mother's tree in this space. And it was a profound experience. I mean, I remember the first time I saw a flower bloom on my mom's tree. I, I honest to goodness, felt like I could feel her smile again. And I hadn't seen that in at least a decade I mean, it had been a couple of years since she had passed and then she had spent such a long time in an almost vegetative state that, mm-hmm. you know, it, it really was a beautiful thing. And then my choice of a tree was I, wa- I wanted her to have a dogwood. Uh, she, mm. my mom was a very quiet, simple, when I say simple, she wasn't a simple, like she was just didn't have a lot of like, a lot of needs. She didn't need the fanciest of things. She didn't, she just wanted you to be kind. She wanted you to be just in how you dealt with people. And she also wanted to make sure that everything that was approached was approached with the correct perseverance. Like, you know, you Mm -hmm. can do this. Right. And as I grew up, I really learned about like the waste, not want, not generation And, you know, I remember coming home from college and there was this basket of shoulder pads next to the sink. And I was like, mom, what's with the shoulder pads? And she's like, well, that's some. And I'm like, you know, look at these shoulders. Like, I don't need shoulder pads. Yeah, sure. So (laughs) and and I said, why are we why are we collecting these? And she said, whoa, well, we can use them as sponges. And it has the side (laughs) that sticks. I can throw them in the wash. So I said, that's great. Okay. So we had like sponge shoulder pads. <laughs> Everything she did, she did was recycled. She had made all of her shopping bags. This was before reusable shopping bags existed because mm-hmm. it's like the late 80s. Mm-hmm. She would buy old curtains at like Goodwill for 10 cents and make all of her shopping bags. And I remember gosh. thinking... You know, you go in the grocery store, you'd be like, sorry about my mom's crazy shopping bag. Nobody else oh, had but like, But that's like so trendy now, though. All the like re- reuse, re-up, recycle. Oh, like, yeah. You know, it's way wait. ahead of her time. It I was, love that. But in my time, I was like, where's the Aquanet? Like, why are we doing this? <laughs> I love I'd be it. washing my dish with the shoulder pad like shoulder pad. <laughs> but yeah. you know I think the beauty of what she taught me is that you you can you can continue to to give in life like we never wanted for anything but she never wasted anything I mean mm-hmm. you know the onesies you know, the feet, when you grow out of them, how you can mm-hmm, continue mm-hmm. to wear them for another, you know, 
decade. (laughs) (laughs) And we would be going out and she would have the feet. We'd have to wear them as mittens. (laughs) (laughs) Resourceful. (laughs) I like that word, resourceful. So as like my mom just never allowed anything for herself. She never bought herself Mm -hmm. anything. And she wanted a dogwood tree so bad in the yard to the point where I would watch her look out the kitchen window and she'd say, that's where I would plant my dogwood tree. And she would never buy it because it was too expensive. Mm -hmm. And I knew she was visualizing it. I knew she was just like, I'm going to think about what it would look like in my yard and I'm going to be content with that. Mm -hmm. And after she passed away, after never allowing herself anything and giving just everything that she had to us, I was like, she is getting a dogwood tree. <laughs> mm-hmm. My mother will have a dogwood tree, finally. Yes. And and yes. she did. And it's a it's a beautiful tree. It's just a beautiful tree. And and you know, you I feel her there. I feel like when we have a burial ceremony, I feel her kind of, you know, being there and supporting what we're doing. And I um to that note that every single person that chooses to be buried there is bringing this more beautification to the space and it changes with every burial. So we'll have somebody that comes and, and plants a, a cherry tree, like a, a pink cherry tree or somebody else that plants a lilac tree with these big white blooms. And, and you really feel the presence of these people and these people who are choosing these trees for their loved ones are doing so in such a thoughtful way. Every tree has meaning and meaning in that person's life. And I I just feel like honored to be part of this process that has given people so much peace. And, you know, as we go into that burial area, you would see these young trees. I mean, they're probably five, six years old before they get planted. Mm-hmm. And these little, we do a little QR code at the base of the tree and you mm-hmm. scan that and that brings you to pictures and videos of the people and pets that are buried there. So people can have an interactive experience and really know who's in that spot. Amazing. And uh, yeah, it is nice because it's not just about the, the trees are lovely, you know, it's a, but it's about the people. Mm-hmm. Like, let's not forget what we're doing here. This isn't about... Just like, oh, it's I'm going to be a tree and all that. No, it's about these people lived a life and people loved them and they had these unique experiences. And we want to make sure that these people's legacy lives on. That's Mm -hmm. our job. We need to protect them. We need to protect that space. And we need to talk about them. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and learn more about Life Forest and all the cool stuff you're doing. Thank you. I was really honored that you reached out and I I appreciate it. This production is brought to you by Parting Stone, who wants to remind you that when your families choose cremation, they don't have to receive cremated remains.
I'm Alexandra Joe, Content Manager at Parting Stone, and you're listening to the Death Care Decoded podcast. In this podcast, we explore trends in the death profession, uncovering valuable insights through conversations with industry thought leaders. Our mission is to bring forward-thinking education to death care professionals. This week, I have the pleasure of talking with Mel Bennett, creator and co-founder of Life Forest, about building the first cemetery created specifically for families choosing cremation who seek burial and permanent placement. Mel shares her personal journey into the death care space, walks listeners through the grounds at Life Forest, and explains the ins and outs of choosing permanent placement for cremated remains with a tree as the memorial marker, which is precisely what Life Forest uniquely offers. You're jumping into a conversation with myself and Mel Bennett. 